Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Packed show today. It was great. Uh, talked to Senator Marsha Blackburn at 7.30. Talked to Jor-El Godsey, the president of Heartbeat International, about lots of things, but about the Supreme Court case uh, that's upcoming about Mifepristone, the abortion pill. Uh, we talked at 7 with Randy Clark about the school in Brooklyn where they took 2,000 illegal immigrants that they were housing in a bit of a tent city uh, in an old airfield. And, and because it's bad weather, they moved them into the school. The problem was there are kids in the school. So they've closed schools, sent kids home for remote learning so that they can put these illegal immigrants in there for we don't even know how long. And then we had a teacher call in from New York City, wonderful Roxanne, saying, hold on, it's all starting to come together now because there's been a push lately to prepare students for more at-home learning district-wide across all of New York City. Why, she wondered. And perhaps this is going to be a more prevalent thing. How's it sending, sending kids, citizens, send a little kids home so that they can use these schools for illegal immigrants. Are you kidding me? And these people still are not going to vote Trump? So late last night when this story broke, we called Randy and was like, hey, Randy, can you come on in the morning? And he did and did a wonderful job, of course. Uh, but the guest we're going to have in a minute here is the Republican Party chair of Iowa, Jeff Kaufman, who is awesome. I could have talked to him all day. I looked up at the clock. I was like, oh, we got to go. Um, he was great. Just to explain how the caucus system works and what it is and what we should look forward to on Monday and why it's good and all that. And he was just really, really great to talk to. So we'll play that for you in a minute. Um, so I want to play the second segment of the show today. I forget if in the beginning of this, I did a disclaimer. I think I did. The point is we, we have lots of different types of segments on Breitbart News Daily. And the opening segment of the show we did at 5 a.m. Central Time did uh, a deep dive of constitutional law and Supreme Court precedent of uh, immunity, of, of presidential immunity and what that means and the hearing that took place yesterday in the D.C. Circuit Court and all that. So we did that. And then after that, we did a more inspirational, attempted inspirational historical segment about our republic and what is a republic and where did it come from? And that's the segment we want to give to you here. The head of the Babylon Bee, the, the satire website, of course, says, I have no idea how the Babylon Bee can compete with this. How can this is you? You couldn't make this. So this is a choir. This is a church, church, air quotes, church, choir. And see if you can make out the words here. Our rights depend on whether we can afford valid ID. Oh, that's so good. Oh, does our ID match our gender? Right, I think there's another good one here. Oh, this RIA, right, yeah, let's do this one right here. Oh, 
rights depend on whether we have the time to stand in line for hours on a weekday. I think it's the law that you like that your work has to let you. Okay, all right, that's enough. Oh, amazing. All right, um, just so you know, um, quick programming note on what we decide to talk about and when we decide to talk about it. There's different types of segments on Breitbart News Daily. Uh, try to give a little bit different segments in each hour, a little different, little different flavors in every hour, and then we switch it all around throughout the week. So if you listen every day at 6 or every day at 7 or every day at 8, you get a little bit of everything uh, throughout a week of listening as well. In any given hour, there's some variety, and then at any given uh, time throughout the week, you have variety as well. And if you don't like one type of segment style, just wait a couple minutes, and then we'll have another segment, and, right? And then, or you just wait till tomorrow, and the next day there'll be a different type of thing. So, um, except for eight, eight, eight o'clock, we did almost always have a guest because that's when people are, are like guests are awake. Heaven forbid someone wake up at six and be a guest on the show. Wake up, people! Come on, at six o'clock, you should have already gotten your workout in. You should be up and at them. Get your workout in, showered, ready to roll to do an interview. Last, everyone wants the eight o'clock time slot. Um, so anyway, just so you know, we switch things up, we move things around. There is some sort of method to the madness. Uh, I share that because we got a ton of feedback yesterday from our interview of Richard C. Lyons about the roots of democracy and republic. Again, of course, all this talk about democracy and and uh, destroying democracy and all this stuff, and then people will call in and be like, "Oh, Slater, but we actually live in a republic." Uh, yeah, okay, so let's make sense of that. So which are we? What are we? And where did those things come from? And Richard C. Lyons, in my experience, is the best person to talk about the true history of these things. What happened in history that led to democracy, that led to republic, and then led to us? What terrible things happened? What tyranny, what crucible occurred that motivated the people to rise up and, and make and create this thing called democracy? So we gave a short of the story yesterday with, with Richard C. Lyons. Please buy the book. It's a short read. It's called The DNA of Democracy. It's wonderful. And I want to take some time here to talk about uh, Rome. So <clears throat> Athens was a city that could have direct democracy because it was small. Uh, Rome was bigger. So they needed a different form of government. They needed a, a republic, a representative form of government. And we took both of those in America and praise God for our founding fathers and their absolute brilliance throw in their common law, starting with the Ten Commandments, that places everyone underneath a common law. Then the Magna Carta out of England, around 1200. And again, praise God that we came from England and we came from that tradition. And we put all those together to create the United States of America. And when you know these stories, you, you, can't, you can't not be grateful. You can't not be overwhelmed with gratitude for what we have. So I want to take a couple minutes here. Uh, and talk about Rome. That's why I just I want everyone to know this story. So the founder of Rome, because this is our story. This is us. This isn't a, a, a random story about ancient Rome. This is the story of America, and our founding fathers profoundly, deeply knew this, which I'll prove in a minute. So the founder of Rome was Romulus, uh, and then after that, uh, the second king of Rome was Numa Pom- Pompilius. Call him Numa. And this was 700 BC. And just like George Washington, he didn't want to be king. And the Senate, they sent people 
to try and convince him to be king. Uh, this is from Livy. He says, you neither desire riches, being content with what you have, nor court the fame of authority as already having the more valuable fame of virtue. Like We know you don't want this gig. Therefore, Rome now calls you to put into action your qualities of justice and wisdom, which were not given you to be left unemployed and rendered useless. They said the power we want to give you could, could like you're the best person for this job because you, like the, the powers we want to give you can be noble when exercised by someone who wants none of its trappings. That's what they said. So he's like, all right, fine, I'll take it. So this is the second, this is like the second guy in charge of Rome. So he took the job and he, he created this God terminus. Uh, where where one things where things end and begin, which created po- property rights. He said, "We call it peace when disputes are settled by words and laws and not by force." And he said, "True bravery consists in the subjugation of our passions and wants by our common reason." And he created Rome's constitution, which we took from. Greece had democracy; everyone voted for everything. Rome had a republic where we voted for representatives, who then voted on things. But here's where the crucible comes. After Numa came this family called the Tarquins. And stayed in the, stayed in the Tarquin family for a while. And then this, they, it got to this other guy, Tullius. And Tullius is good. Tullius gave a lot of power to the people. He decreased the power of the king and the aristocracy. But the guy who was supposed to be king... <laughs> He didn't like this. His name was Lucius Tarquinius Superbus. He wanted back, he wanted all the powers of the kingship. He was a tyrant. So he killed the rightfully voted in king. Killed him. And took power back himself. And he was a full-on tyrant. Posed the death penalty on anyone who he wanted to. The whole thing, right? And the people did nothing. They couldn't until, and here's the story. The army was in a a camp outside the city and they were all around the fire and they were talking about who the most beautiful woman in Rome was. And the son of the king, the son of the tyrant was there. And they said, oh, it's this guy's wife. She's She's not only the most beautiful, her greatest virtue was her kindness, devotion, and modesty. They said, this, this woman is the greatest woman in all of Rome. So the king's son, and you can imagine him, you can imagine what a, what a, what a wicked person this, this kid would be. He went to this guy's house, and the soldier's wife took him in and fed him and offered him a place to stay, and then he raped her. He put a knife to her throat and said, if you cry out, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to say that I caught you and your slave sleeping together, and it will shame you and your husband forever. There's nothing you can do. So he raped her, and the next day, Lucretia, and Shakespeare wrote a poem about this called The Rape of Lucrece. She sent a messenger to go get her husband and her father. And they both came to her house and she told them what happened and then she killed herself in shame. And everyone freaked out. Everyone was totally outraged. And this guy, Junius Brutus, he pulled the knife 
from Lucretia and said, By this blood, most chaste until a prince wronged it, I swear and I take you gods to witness that I will pursue Lucius Tarquinius Superbus, his wicked wife and all his children, with sword, with fire, yes, with whatsoever violence I may, and that I will suffer neither them nor any other to be king in Rome. And that, the last, that last line was the key. It wasn't, and I will kill them so that we never have to be king under them again, and I'll be the king. No, no, no. It was, we, we, will, we will kill this king, this tyrant, so that we will suffer neither them nor any other king in Rome. So the people rose up, and the Tarquins, they fled the city, and the people vowed to never have another king again. So they split the, the, the king's power into two councils to be elected by, which is essentially the Senate. And this was the beginning of the Roman Republic, 509 BC. And this is the story that our founding fathers knew well. They didn't know well, they knew profoundly. They knew it in their bones. Robert Yates was one of our, our great founding fathers that no one ever talks about. He was at the Constitutional Convention from New York. His pen name, his anonymous pen name was Brutus. Named after him, of course. Named after this Brutus. And there's, I, I just love, I love that these things, I love, to, I, know, I love to know the origin. I love to know the genesis. You gotta know, like this is how the Republic, the idea of a Republic came to be. And there's so much more to the story with Brutus and his sons, which is like the opposite of what Joe Biden has done. Of course, uh, let me tell it quick. I can't leave with that. So here's, here's the short of that story. So the, the Tarquins, they were, uh, they were exiled but they were trying to get, they wanted to take back the throne. So they were trying to recruit people to, to have it, lead an insurrection. Ah, oh, lead it January 6th. So they found this guy in a Viking helmet. They found a shaman in a Viking helmet. And they, no, but they, they found someone. They actually found Brutus's two sons. And they said, hey, you join us. We're going to take back our country. We're going to take back what is rightfully ours. And we'll put you in charge. We'll give you all the power. We'll give you all the money. We'll give you everything you can imagine. You'll be back in charge again. No more of this republic nonsense. Let's get back to, a, to the monarchy. And they caught him. They caught the two sons. So all of Rome looked at what dad, one of the councils, Brutus, what dad was going to do. And he begged his sons. He said, Titus, Tiberius, can you make any defense against the indictment? He was begging them, please say this isn't true. And they couldn't. It was true. So he followed the law and he had them beheaded. And there's a famous painting called The Lictors Bring to Brutus the Bodies of His Sons. You can see how distraught he was. But he, he knew he had, if he wanted this republic to exist, he knew he had to put the law even above him and his own sons, his own boys. And he had to watch his sons be executed in order for the Republic to continue. No one was above the law. Amazing story. True story. So that wasn't the end of it. Lucius Tarquinius Superbus, he teamed up with another king. His name was Lars Porcena to go against Brutus, to go to attack uh, Rome. Now Brutus hated Tarquinius even more because he stole his sons from him. So there was this, there were a couple battles, but one in particular... And it was put into a poem called Horatius at the Bridge by Thomas Babington Macaulay. 
and it's a, it's a, I'm going to make it a must read. Very long Lord of the Rings style epic battle poem. It's not that long, but it'll take you a little bit of time. Winston Churchill memorized this poem when he was a boy. 70 stanzas, 70 stanzas, eight lines each. And it's perfect. And it's not too hard either. And I just, I think of this poem and the context around it being so deep, the, the power of this being deeply embedded, not only in, in one's brain, but in their, in their hearts as well. Like Winston Churchill knew this poem. Our founding fathers, this poem was written after our founding fathers, but our founding fathers knew the story. They knew all of this. And we've lost all of it. Like, like I, I always do this parallel universe thing. Uh, it, uh, so everything is the same, except in one universe, we know this story. Everyone knows this story. Let's just do you though. You and I, we know this story. In one universe, we know everything about the founding of the democ- of democracy. Because the, the founding of a Greek democracy has like as much of an epic story as this. Uh, and, and the founding of the Roman Republic, we know it deep in core, into our core, into our bones, we know it. And then in another parallel universe, we don't. <laughs> I, we don't even really know what it is. We don't know what, we don't even know what democracy is. And we don't know. It's like, whatever, who cares? It's like, oh, those are different. Those are very, very different. And that's why we used to, have kids memorize things. That's why Winston Churchill memorized this. So let me, I just want to read the end of it here. So Horatio was one of the officers in the Roman army and just as brave as could be. And the whole, the whole 70 stanzas is all about him fighting different warriors on the, on the, on the bad guy's side. So at the end, he, uh, I I think, I think it's like the, the bad guys were invading and they had to cross this bridge and the Roman, the Roman military decided to destroy the bridge, but they had to, in order to destroy the bridge so they couldn't cross, they had to fight back the army that was coming, trying to come across it. So they needed men to hold back the bridge. So there were a couple of men who were holding back the bridge and then it, it dwindled as, as those men were like, let's get out of here. And there were two men left. And then finally it was just Horatio. So Horatio was the last guy to stand to try to fight back the invading army and, uh, and the bridge fell. So he made it until the bridge fell, but then he, he had to try to get back and to get back uh, to Rome he had to jump in to the, into the river, into the raging river. All right, so, so he jumps into the river. Let me just read the last. It's like, uh, like 10 here. So he jumps into this huge raging river. I just want to be good. Not a little, not a little pond. This isn't a, a, a creek. It's a huge raging river. No sound of joy or sorrow was heard from either bank. But friends and foes, in dumb surprise, with parted lips and straining eyes, stood gazing where he sank. And when above the surges they saw his crest appear, all of Rome sent forth a rapturous cry. And even the ranks of Tuscany could scarce forbear to cheer. Even the enemy was like, well, that's pretty awesome. But fiercely ran the current, swollen high by months of rain, and fast his blood was flowing, and he was sore in pain. And heavy with his armor, and spent with changing blows, and off they thought him sinking. But still again he rose. Never, I ween, did swimmer in such an evil case struggle through such a raging flood safe to the landing place. Never been done before. But his limbs were borne up bravely by the brave heart within. And our good father Tiber bare bravely up his chin the river. Curse on him, quote, false Sextus. Will not the villain drown? Sextus is the guy who raped Lucretia. That was the king's, that was, that was the evil king's son was Sextus. The guy who raped Lucretia who started this whole thing. False Sextus. Curse on him, quoth false Sextus. Will not the villain drown? 
But for this day, our close of day, we would have sacked this town. Heaven help him, said Lars Porsena, and bring him safe to shore. For such a gallant feat of arms was never seen before. So Lars Porsena was the guy who the king, the evil king, recruited to his side. So Lars Porsena is the enemy, and the enemy's like, that was awesome. <laughs> like, heaven help this guy, because that was unbelievable. So now he's like, even the bad guys, are, the bad army's rooting, <laughs> rooting for, uh, for Horatio. And now he feels the bottom. Now on earth, dry earth he stands, and round him throngs the father, the fathers to press his gory hands. And now with shouts and clapping and noise of weeping loud, he enters through the river gate, born, born by the joyous crowd. So he made it. They gave him of the corn land. That was a public right. As much as two strong oxen could plow from morn to night. They gave him a bunch of land. And they made a molten image and set it up on high. And there it stands until this, until this day to witness, if I lie, built a statue. It stands in the comitium, plain for all folk to see. Horatius in his harness halting upon one knee. And underneath is written in letters all of gold how valiantly he kept the bridge in the brave days of old. And still his name sounds stirring unto the men of Rome as the trumpet blast that calls to them to, change the Vols to charge the Volscan home. And wives still pray to Juno for boys with hearts as bold as his who kept the bridge so well in the brave days of old. While men are, uh, women are praying that their boys can be like Horatio. And in the nights of winter when the cold north winds blow, and the long howling of the wolves is heard amidst the snow. When round the lonely cottage roar loud the tempest's din, and the good logs of Algius roar louder yet within. That's a forest. When the oldest cask is opened, and the largest lamp is lit, when the chestnuts glow in the embers, and the kid turns on the spit, when young and old encircle round the firebrands close, when the girls are weaving baskets, and the lads are shaping bows, when the goodman mends his armor, and trims his helmet's plume, and the good wife's shuttle merrily goes flashing through the loom, with weeping and with laughter still is the story told. How well Horatius kept the bridge in the brave days of old. That is part of the founding of America. It's amazing. I'll end with this. A uh, Roman was taken captive by Lars and he was ordered to be thrown in the fire. And this guy's name was Musius. He put his hand in the fire himself. <laughs> it's like, throw this man in the fire. And he's like, I'll do it. He put his hand in the fire and said, look, that you may see how cheap we hold our bodies whose eyes are fixed upon our liberty and glory. It's like, we don't care. You can, you can, you can kill us. We're never going to stop. And Lars was just amazed. And he looked over at Rome and he asked if everyone in Rome would die fighting. And this Roman said, yes, we will. For one day's life spent dying for our freedom is worth more than an eternity spent in your chains. And Lars quit. <laughs> He's like, I'm out. He, and he, he told uh, the, the, the evil king, old king, he said, I'm out. He said, I seek such resolute bravery in the arms of my allies, not in the arms of my enemies. <laughs> He's like, I'm leaving. You're on your own, bud. These are our stories. This is who we are. This is America. We used to be willing to die for our freedoms. Now we welcome the enemy through the gates in the name of, I don't know, name of tolerance or equity or being nice or migrants. We, we welcome them in the name of migrants. But come on in, Lars. Diversity is our strength. 
back to Breitbart News Daily. I had so many questions about Iowa. I'm just curious about things. I want to know how it works. It's going to be cold, too. So we talked with the chairman of the Republican Party in Iowa. Here he is. Mr. Kaufman, how are you, sir? I am just fine on this bright and sparkling Wednesday morning. Well, well, actually, those adjectives might work. Bright, the sun's up. <laughs> sparkling, reflections on the snow. Sure. Uh, I got the go. weather forecast. <laughs> Got the, have you seen the weather forecast, Jeff, for Monday? I, oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's, I would just call it typical January in uh, Iowa. It won't phase our folks one bit. Temp, low temperatures don't phase us out here. Severe ice storms the only thing that gets our attention, and that's not going to happen. <laughs> low temperature. Low. Negative 13, Jeff. Yep, we've. Uh, I remember uh, what well, a couple of years ago we were at like negative twenty, no wind chill. We're going to be, we'll be just fine here. Our passions for replacing that fool in the White House will warm this place up to about <laughs> fifty-five degrees. All Monday. the snow will be melted as the great patriots march <laughs> to their go. local gymnasium. Uh, we were joking earlier that people have said I would crawl over glass to vote for whoever, <laughs> and it's like, well, like I, I may prefer the glass to the. Negative 13 degrees. <laughs> Do I get to choose? Do I get to choose between one or the other? Uh, well, last question about the weather. In all seriousness, that's very sure. cold. What what do you what do you do with that? How do you go outside when it's negative 13? I, I, I used to live in Syracuse, New York, so we had our sense of cold too. And but that's that's really, really cold. Like that's cars won't start cold. Sure. And and you know, out in and in all seriousness here, you know, we're used to we we put heat in our gas tanks. You warm up the car before you go out. Plenty of layers of clothing. Make sure you throw some gloves and a hat. And and also remember, we got 1,567 precinct sites. Many, many, many people, especially in those rural counties, will not be more than five miles from their precinct. And even in our counties where we have a uh, you know a mega site, you're not going to be more than 15 miles from a uh, from your precinct site. So in all seriousness, we are used to dealing with this out here and taking the preparations. And I honestly don't see that significantly uh, impacting turnout. I, I, I really do believe the only, in the wintertime, the only weather event that could severely impact our attendance at the caucus is an ice storm where literally you can't drive there. But, yeah. you know, I, if, it's, if it's that cold, uh, you know, I could take a record-breaking attendance and back it off to a great attendance. Uh, but I, I have to tell you, I'm not hearing anything or seeing anything right now, uh, especially after just going through the uh, a blizzard with some whiteout conditions, which we're not expected to have on Monday. That's going to detract from a very, very robust uh, turnout. No, We've done right. this before in uh, in pretty bad conditions. No, I think it's a point of pride for uh, hardier souls to venture out into the uh, the winter wonderland that is. Um, so can you, do you mind taking some time here and, and giving us the rundown? It's been eight years since I learned how a sure. caucus worked. So what what is to take place on Monday? Absolutely. And the, 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 I'm a, I'm a, a government professor, and so I, this is how I talk nice. to my students. And yes, by please the way, talk, talk down to me. I need it. Well, remember, I, I also always want to say I'm one of those professional college professors that doesn't indoctrinate but presents facts to kids i yeah. detest the leftward uh professors i just want to make sure i make that <laughs> point but uh no the, the the basic difference the distinction i would make first mike is the difference between a primary which most of the states do in this process and a caucus a caucus is essentially a primary with conversation with debate 
So when people get to the to the precinct and you have to show a voter ID, you got to be a member of that precinct caucus. Um, and once you've once you've done that and made sure that you're registered Republican and you can register that evening to be a Republican and participate, you move in. The Democrats used to have a convoluted system where they'd stand in corners of the room and they'd have two different goes out. We're real simple. You cast a vote and we count them and we count them in public and we're transparent. Um, but the voting does not happen in our precinct caucuses until each candidate or their uh, or someone that is going to speak for them uh, surrogate actually has the opportunity to address the group and it's a real it, it's an interesting situation Mike because if you've got first time caucus course or if you've got people that are coming that just know we need something different but maybe they're down to two candidates that's a situation where speeches can actually make a difference and there will be some precinct caucuses that actually have a candidate there there will be others that have high level surrogates and most of the others are going to have someone to speak for those various candidates. I know we have some uh, campaigns here. They are so sophisticated and they are so well organized here on the ground. They are working to have a surrogate speak at all 1,500 uh, plus uh, precinct sites, which is a organizational feat that's probably a reflection of that uh, of that particular campaign strength yes. here. Once the surrogates speak, and I always tell people, if you're speaking for your candidate, there is a point of which if you go on and on and on, you will actually lose votes for your candidate. So I tell people, this isn't the time to, to resurrect the ghost of Daniel Webster. This is the time for you to be succinct, speak with passion, look your neighbors in the eye and say, this is why I am here for this individual today. Then the voting will occur. Sometimes it's a ballot. Sometimes you just write the name. It depends on the precinct chair. Um, and here's the beauty of it. This is why this is the best process in the country. And I mean that literally, not metaphorically. The votes are counted in the room. There can be candidate a, a candidate appointment uh, or that will actually, a person from each candidate's campaign that can observe it besides everybody in the room. The votes are tallied in the room. They are called in or our app is used to send it in the room. And here's what's even better. Uh, if you're there for about five, ten minutes after it's been called in or sent in via our app, you can then look at it while still in the room where the voting happened as we report it to the rest of the world. And I got one more good thing for those that, that love and believe in voter integrity. We keep every single paper copy of the reporting, and we collect all of them within 48 hours. And in 2016, we did that uh, in a snowstorm. So this is going to be one of the most open, transparent processes that you have. And actually, it, it really takes away my, my uh, uh, need to go out and declare a winner because everybody nearly in real time is going to see what the Republican Party of Iowa sees as we collect all of these. Yes. Um, we are ready for anything. We're ready for nefarious people trying to ruin our process. We're ready for Democrats that absolutely screwed everything up in their own first of the nation out here. And I'm guessing are looking around instead of rebuilding their party to try to screw something up that Republicans have done. But we don't care. We are ready. The process is ready. Grassroots are ready, even if it's negative 13. Okay, beautiful. So, so we're talking about the chair of the Republican Party in Iowa. So they tally up. So you're in a precinct. They tally up the votes. 
And then what? Correct. Uh, so they tally up the votes. Those votes then are are are, are tallied, and it's a very specific uh, uniform tally sheet. It's called Schedule E. Those then the Schedule E tally. We have a paper copy that everybody sees, and that everybody's seen uh, tally. Then at that point, the majority of our folks will put, will put those in an app that then is sent directly to us, and then we report those out. Um, if they want to, they can call it in the old-fashioned way. Uh, if we have people that aren't reporting, we will contact them. If there are problems, an Armageddon-like scenario, so where some nefarious loser screws up our system, then we'll go to the old-fashioned call it in. And every single one of those sheets of paper that is used, every one of them are saved, they are kept at RPI, and they can be used to audit and double-check our results within two days. Okay, so there's no, you, you mentioned the Democrats' way. The Democrats, is, is there the one where the, they, they go in the corners and then the lowest vote tally's gone and they do it again and again and again? Is that a thing, or did I make that up? Well, no, that's what they used to do. No, what they did this time, since the National Party and Joe Biden knew they couldn't win Iowa, that goofball has lost it twice. So they stripped Iowa of First Nation status. Then our party, instead of pushing back and saying no, the Democratic Party here, they actually said, we're going to have, get this, this is an oxymoron. They're going to have a mail-in caucus. That's uh. like saying a brilliant <laughs> Biden. There is no such thing. They changed it to Get this, they changed it to a primary just to appease their coastal elites and threw away everything. I just, I shake my head. Shame on them. We're doing it alone and we're going to do it right. Wow, that's really interesting. So a mail-in caucus, like that's absurd. That's ridiculous. But but the <laughs> Iowa Democrat, I mean, that's so silly. But the Iowa Democratic Party went with it? They caved on that? Or they, they had to oh, have been pressured. There's no way you they just... What? Oh, yes, they were pressured, but they didn't push back. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Mike, if that would have happened to us, if the RNC would have tried to pull something like that on yeah. us, or I will even say, and I'm not one of these guys, you know, the showdown at the OK Corral guy. I'm a, I'm a team player. I want to win. But I will tell you, I would have pushed back had any uh, any uh, administration official, if it were a Republican administration, if if the uh, if the RNC, if Ronna McDaniel, anybody would have said that, I would have come back like a rabid dog. They just absolutely folded to the progressive elites in California and New York, and yes. to this bumbling president who probably thinks we still grow potatoes out here. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting. But did I make up the whole? You tally up the votes, and then the lowest vote getter is gone, and then you vote again. And then yes, they... that, that's what they used to do. Okay. Yes. Okay. So they did do and that. And the other thing, the other thing we want to add for what the Democrats used to do is they, you know, when they get to the point of where they're p picking their nominee, they also have something we don't. Ours is all grassroots driven. We are bound by our caucus results. Uh, I mean, we are bound when we go to the convention. So it, it I mean, we listen to the grassroots, and and it is. It is what we must do if we had anybody that didn't want to do that. But, you know, the, the Democrats have these uh, have these super delegates. So like in 2016, poor old wild, wild-haired Bernie, he never had a chance. If Bernie would have squeaked that one out in 2016, the super delegates just would have stepped on the scales and made sure that Hillary Clinton went through. I mean, it's, a, it's such a top-down uh, lack of transparency that the Democrats do. It's, it's actually, you just shake your head. 
that even some there's got to be some well-meaning Democrats out there that still actually think they need to listen to people before they pick their their next Marxist uh, a messenger. But no, they <laughs> even in that particular case, even communists don't listen to the people in that party. So I, it's it's just a mess. Oh, We're so proud of our of what we do out here. All right, we're talking with the Iowa Republican Party Chair, Jeff Kaufman. Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N-G-O-P on the Twitter. Okay, so I got a couple questions. So um, sure. so you just vote once. So every Republican, is just one vote, and that's the winner in each precinct. That is the winner, yep, and we okay. are bound by that. Okay, and you, they call it in or app it in, and you tally up all the votes, and that's it. So it's a pretty simple one straight shot process. That is correct, and everybody okay. in the world and every journalist and every person that's interested can see that tallying going on on our website. That is also transparent. Very good. Uh, so you mentioned there's no time limit for the surrogate who is speaking. Um, how many, uh, how long do people normally speak for? And then also how many people are on the ballot for the Republican Party? Sure. We suggest, uh, we give suggestions to our precinct chairs, but we're such a grassroots bottom-up party our actual precincts chair can do what they want, even if I suggest. Oh, uh, but I would say the average speech is uh, five minutes, five okay. to seven minutes. Yeah. If we have a high-profile surrogate there, or if Governor DeSantis or Ambassador Haley or President Trump or Vivek Ramaswamy, I mean, they're going to pick out, I would imagine, uh, they're going to pick out uh, precincts where they actually go and, and speak for themselves. Uh, and then at the end of all of that, then they will vote. If there is a ballot, what we typically what we typically go with are the uh, those that are actually polling uh, and, and having some kind of, of poll numbers in the state. So there will they will have obviously our front runners, Donald Trump uh, leading the pack, and then Governor DeSantis, Ambassador Haley, Vake Ramaswamy. We will also have Asa Hutchinson on there. We'll have Chris Christie, even though Chris Christie blew off the entire state of Iowa. Mm. Uh, that's the only negative thing I'll say because I'm neutral, but I'm saying that negative because I don't like when somebody blows off my state. And uh, we've got a couple of long shots that have been here and been campaigning and been running uh, commercials like uh, Ryan, Ryan Binkley. Uh, he's out there. Uh, and uh, and so he will be on the ballot. So essentially, if you look at a poll of Iowa uh, and what's going on in our Iowa caucuses right now, those will be the folks. But there is a place where you can write in because we have a lot of people running for president, many of whom I don't even know their names because they haven't spent any time here. But if somebody has read their website and it really grabs their fancy, they can actually write in their name. OK, uh, how long does the whole thing excuse me? How long does the whole thing last? Like, when do people show up? When do they have to get their votes in by? Is there any time limits in that sense? Uh, Seven o'clock, that's a universal opening time. Uh, We suggest people get there, you know, a half hour early, just uh, depending on how many new caucus goers we have, Hmm. uh, that, you know, they're going to have to be talked through the process. And then more importantly, if we have people, and I think we are going to have campaigns that we've got independents coming and we've got some moderate same Democrats coming uh, that are going to change their vote. I, I are change their registration that, you know, there, there's some time that that is taken there, but I would imagine a lot of the voting is going to, uh, by the time everybody's settled in, the rules are done, the speeches start, we're probably going to be, you probably looking at 7.15, 7.30 start time. If it's a mega site, it may be a little bit longer, but there is seating inside. And then, uh, you know, the whole process depends on how many people are talking. 
making sure we don't have any people that are, are, are trying for their own personal Daniel Webster moment, which, by the way, will hurt their candidate. Yeah. I always tell them. And, uh, you know, most people on that part of the evening, because, see, we have two parts of the evening, Mike. You're interested in the presidential preference vote. I would imagine most of, most of that evening you're giving up an hour. Uh, but then after that, we also have party business. That's where we begin to build our platform. That's where we send people to the next level of, uh, of county conventions and district oh, wow. conventions. Some people don't stay for that. Some people do. Usually that's, that goes second, and that uh, oftentimes takes, again, unless there's some Daniel Webster moment, folks, uh, that, that takes about an hour. And, uh, and, but I, I can't emphasize enough, the presidential preference vote, which is what is drawing the majority of people to these yeah. caucuses, yeah. Should, should be able to take care of that in an hour. Okay, although the second part's arguably more important. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, so about an hour. So 8 o'clock uh, Central Time? Yes. Okay. Um, what do you, I'm, I'm concerned about this changing of party registration that night. How many Democrats come in for the purpose of sabotaging the evening? Good question. And that is something you know we have discussed, whether we want to continue doing that. That's something, by the way, that uh, the legislature has allowed, the Iowa legislature has actually given the responsibility of whether to allow that to the actual party. The problem is in terms of people that wanted uh, that want to uh, stop that practice, that is in the Republican Party of Iowa Constitution. That's been 20 or 30 years ago. I have no idea what they were thinking at that time. So I think we're going to have a pretty robust conversation at our convention whether they continue doing that. Here's the thing, though, Mike. Every one of the campaigns uh, is planning on bringing people in and counting on the registration to be changed. In fact, if you look in 2016, the amount of people that came in, and at that point, the, the, the candidate that was, doing, uh, that was doing the best job in 16 with that was Donald Trump. And uh, the amount of people that changed their registration, remained Republican, voted Republican, was significantly high. So it's a two-edged sword because a lot of the campaigns are counting on that. Uh, many of them are counting on that, they have told me. Mm. Having said that, every single, every single caucus cycle, I've been through three of them. I've participated in three before that. There is that worry. And you've always got somebody like, oh, I think poor old Bill Crystal, who's in the ever-ending useless fight for relevancy, which he'll never win. No, I mean, Bill who is basically what people in uh, Iowa think of the guy. But, you know, he was put, now be a, be a Republican for a night. We, we hear that every caucus cycle. People raise concerns, and they are legitimate. We have never seen an organized uh, 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 opportunity to do that with the exception of a few, you know, doofuses like Bill Crystal out there yeah. trying to be relevant. And I ultimately, uh, I'm not seeing anything out there now that where people are pouring in money to try to actually get people to do that. And here's the beauty, Mike. Here's why I'm even less concerned than I've ever been. We finally, finally have a Republican AG out here. We haven't had one since I was in high school, and I'm old. And <laughs> our new AG, Brenna Bird. Uh, will prosecute, I believe. And here's the beauty. Uh, and according to our code, it is illegal. It is breaking the law if you, if you, do, if you participate in this ridiculous mail-in primary or, or mail-in caucus or primary that the Democrats are doing. 
and also vote in our caucus. And ah. we are going to monitor that carefully, and we will go after them. Interesting. So okay, we got a Republican the... AG now. Thank God. Yes. Now someone doesn't have to really vote in the Democratic mail-in caucus because you know it's Biden. So they could not do that and just do the Republican. But if they do both, then they're in trouble. Okay. But they, but in, in future years when there are both, this would not be an issue because you'd have to pick one, of course. Um, that okay, is correct. Very, very good. Or if the Democrats wouldn't have screwed it up and we're caucusing on the same night. We are though. You know, you bring up you bring up a valid point. We're going to be analyzing and looking at things, and I really think our convention this year, our 24 convention, they are going to take that up and see if we want to keep it or yeah. if we want to work towards amending our constitution. Yeah, that's fair. That's interesting. Okay, uh, last big picture question for you, uh, Jeff, and you've been very generous with your time. I, I imagine you're pretty busy here coming up on uh, the big day. Um, I love Breitbart. I'll spend as much time as you need. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> what? That'll get you a front spot on the website. That's how you do it. Right? You, <laughs> Just any future guests in the future. You say, I love Breitbart. You'll make it to the front page. Um, talk to me, because I'm fascinated by our states and how every state is different. Um, and obviously, New Hampshire is coming up after, and New Hampshire is very different than Iowa, and that's, that's good. What is culturally unique about the people of Iowa that we and every other state in the country should keep in mind we are, you know, the, the, the I'll, I'll answer that question by saying, by bringing up a couple of things that I do not think are accurate about Iowa, that a, a lot of times people looking at a distance, you yes. know, we're, we're all farmers. Agricultural issues are all that we care about. Uh, we, we care about agricultural issues. We are, we are a farm community and ag community, but Ted Cruz won Iowa in 2016, and he was not for ethanol. We are for ethanol out here. So that morphs into the main point that I want to say about Iowa, and that is our, we've been doing this since 1976. Our folks take this as an important responsibility. Our people show up for these events, and they will check off, okay, see Nikki Haley next. All right, see Vivek Ramaswamy. They will keep going to events even after in their hearts and minds they're knowing that they know that they're going to vote for someone else. Mm-hmm. The other thing that people don't realize about Iowa is that, that we are – we, we, we are not diverse in every single way, but we vote according to the character of individuals. Let me explain. We will have, you know, the DNC, they'll say, oh, Iowa, you know, they're not diverse enough and we got to get, we got to, we got to start someplace else. Well, the knuckleheads don't even realize in 2008, the Democrats out here made Barack Obama. In 2016, yes, the winner right. of our Iowa caucus was a Cuban-American. Number three was a Cuban-American. Number four was an African-American. We actually vote according to who we believe will be the best president. And you won't find one tiny shred of evidence that Iowa does not vote for the content of someone's character as opposed to skin color. And the other thing I would say is we have a pretty wide diversity in terms of the factions in our party. A lot of people will say, well, Iowa, they're hard, hard right Christian evangelical. Well, yes, we have we have a very strong wing of our party that's Christian evangelical, and Christian evangelicals weave their way through every facet. But we have an establishment wing. We have a liberty wing. We have a wing of our party that is strong, uncompromising MAGA. And, and I think too many times people try to paint that brush, that wide, broad brush that we are, we are, we are just similar across the board, cookie cutter, one size fits all. That just does not explain our state. 
And and having said that, when you look at Iowa and the four carve and the other three carve-outs, the the RNC does this right. We not we're not supposed to pick the president out here. So only forty three percent of the time is the winner of the Iowa caucus went on to be president. We're supposed to kick the tires. We're supposed to give everybody a fair hearing. Um, I think sometimes, to be honest with you, I think New Hampshire, you know, we pick presidents, they pick corn, yeah, blah, blah, blah. They get a little ahead of themselves. <laughs> but the bottom line, if they want to think that, you know, if that, if that, if, you know, maybe they need a hug. I don't know. But the bottom <laughs> line is in the carve-out system, Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, South Carolina, and Nevada, we give diversity along any parameters you want to say, and all of us are supposed to kick off this process not necessarily pick the president. I think it's a yes. genius the way we do it. And I, I, I really think every one of these candidates are going to tell you how much they love Iowa. That's, yeah, you, got me, uh, they, you got me excited, Jeff. You got me really fired up for it. I don't live there. I'm just going to be watching, but I wish I did now. Uh, Iowa Republican Party Chair Jeff Kaufman. Uh, Jeff, wonderful to meet you and talk to you, and best of luck on Monday. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be a part of your show today. Stay warm. Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. Super fun show today. You can hear the whole thing, of course, on SiriusXM. We got a big announcement. We'll probably make our big announcement tomorrow. Uh, also on tomorrow's show, Dr. Sebastian Gorka will be here. Uh, and we have a congressman as well to talk about all the funding issues. And we might have a guest I'm excited about uh, to talk about beauty. Remember, we stand for the good, the beautiful, and the true. Not as much emphasis on the beauty, but someone is really leading the way on that. We hopefully can get on the air tomorrow as well. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word. Oh,